This is Audible. What inspired you to write? You're just not that into him. Yeah, well, last year at the end of 2004, I was still promoting She Comes First, my first book, and doing a number of different events. And I was doing one event that was sort of a downtown salon in Soho, and it was a lot of singles. And a very striking woman stood up、uh, in an elegant black dress, about 30, 31 years old. And it was really sort of an evening where we were really debating, and we were talking about. Oh, the pressures of casual sex and love and sex in the age of the booty call, and is the third date the first date? And she stood up and she said, "You know, I really just don't understand dating today. I mean, I go on all of these dates, and it's like an episode of The Bachelor. I just feel like there's this long line of beautiful women waiting behind me to have a date with the same guy, and he might not even be that great, but he knows that. And all of a sudden, I'm hooking up with him, and I'm not even sure I really like him that much, and." You know, I'm waiting for the call the next day, and I just don't understand dating anymore, and I don't understand men anymore, and hooking up, and I'm just very, very confused. And is it just New York, or I'm ready to leave, and what? So she was sort of complaining, and a guy stood up in the crowd, and he said, "Well, maybe he's just not that into you." Sort of echoing the title,、yeah. of he's just not that into you, and. I sort of shot back. Yeah, well, he might not be that into you, but that doesn't mean he won't have sex with you. Right. And so, sort of, you know, that got into another big discussion. And then she sort of, you know, was still confused and standing. She said, you know, but when I think about it, I wasn't even really that into him in the first place. And she said, you know. Me, all of my friends, you know, we're all these great, educated, successful, attractive women, and we're just getting hung up on these jerks. And it really led to a, a, a longer discussion. And I asked her, "Why is this happening?" And she said, "You know, well, first of all, I just feel like there's a pressure to date.、Uh, I might as well just keep dating, dating, and、right. dating because if you don't, you feel like you're sort of out of the scene." She said, "You know, then all of my friends are getting married. All of my friends are having babies. You know, suddenly girls' night out is more like you know lactating night. You know, where everyone's just breastfeeding their babies. And I like to sleep with men." She said, "I like to have sex. I, I enjoy sex." And so I really left that evening. I was I was thinking about what she said, and her words really stuck in my head. You know, hey. Uh, I wasn't that into you either in the first place, and I started thinking about all the reasons. And really, the book just grew out of that. I mean, frankly, I was in the middle of writing another book. I was writing He Comes Next, the follow-up to She Comes First, and I saw Judith Regan, our publisher, the next day, and she said, "That's a book. You know, stop what you're doing. I think it's really important that we have a debate about this and that we、uh, talk about this." And she had a slightly Different perspective on the first book. He's just not that into you. In my mind, I felt like those writers sort of raised an interesting idea and clearly tapped into the cultural zeitgeist. And Judith really said that book, in my mind, really disempowers women. Really, women might as well be sitting at home picking daisies. He's into me. He's not into me. He's into me. He's not into me. And it's just not a real reflection of sort of.、Uh, Sex and relationships in the new millennium. So, so I sort of felt like it was important to really get at the reasons that women were lowering their standards, whether they were、um, sexual, and you know whether women were lowering their standards because they were lonely, horny, whether it was social factors like friends getting married, or just a psychological mindset of sort of not believing that there are good men out there or giving up on finding love. That was sort of my approach, and Judith really also felt like it was important to have sort of a larger cultural debate about this issue and to give the female response. So I think the book、uh, ultimately reflects both sort of the vision that I had coming away that night, and also the bigger vision of Judith Regan, who's you know a very empowered, successful woman. You know, I read a quote from Judith just yesterday talking about how the influence of pornography has seeped、mm-hmm. into the general culture,、yes. and 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 I wonder what 
what your response to that, because I've also read a quote from you talking yeah. about how debilitating I think you I, generally find pornography. I, as a sex therapist, really deal with um, the impact of porn on men and women and on couples. There's a phenomenon in sex therapy in clinical terms called spectatoring. In spectatoring, people are so concerned with their own performance during sex, one or both partners, that they really stop enjoying the sex and they're literally watching themselves. And in watching themselves, uh, it often paralyzes them. I think one of the big factors behind spectatoring is the influence of porn and the mainstreaming of porn. I think it it really gives men uh, a very unreal vision and conception of female sexuality. And I think many women, especially as porn is entering into the mainstream and it's right there on their, you know, boyfriend's internet, you know, on their cell phone. I saw a guy on the train the other day that flipped his cell phone open and it was this head on shot of this nude woman right there. (laughs) Yeah. And, And I get emails. I get emails all the time from women saying, you know, my boyfriend or my husband is not interested in having sex with me, but I know that he goes on the internet and porn sites and is it that I'm just not stacking up against these porn stars and I think it also really helps to reinforce um, the culture of faking um, both men and women I think it really turns us in in our own way I mean how to the the title how to make love like a porn star although that book is an autobiography and the subtitle is a cautionary tale I think on a bigger level we all are trying to make love like porn stars and it's really affecting the way we interact and it's affecting intimacy um, so between how to make love like a porn star and the vivid girls how to have a triple X sex life I think it is ultimately leading us in the wrong direction in terms of how how to really um, satisfy and be connected on an intimate level so there you have it I mean I'm sort of coming at it from one end Judith has these two other books and Nobody really knows what she probably thinks in the end, but it's kind of a wonderful kind of throwing a lot against sort of the cultural landscape, the cultural wall, and seeing what what sticks, and uh, it's an opportunity for sort of a dialectical debate. Are there other folks out there that are thoroughly looking at that effect, like like you're looking at it, in the sense of what that industry is doing to just sort of everyday life? You know, I, I think amongst, you know, certainly, I mean, I'm on a lot of listservs um, amongst uh, in clinical circles, yeah. and, and I was just at the Kinsey Institute. And I mean, in, in clinical circles and scientific circles and sexology circles, uh, we certainly talk about this quite a bit. Um, I talk to a number of other sex therapists who um, experience the same thing. Um, it does get written about. I don't know that sort of the cultural level of criticism as well as sort of the practical side, which I deal with, have have yet met. But I think the more and more that uh, porn gets mainstreamed, uh, the more there will hopefully be uh, sort of, just as I'm doing with he's just not that into you, and be honest, you're not that into him either. In fact, some woman wrote a review on Amazon.com saying, buy this book because it's the how not to make love like a porn star book. So I think in general, people um, are just going to respond to sort of what's what's in the ether, and I certainly uh, am interested in being a, a, a spokesperson or at least um, one, one of the folks that are talking about the other side about mm-hmm. how porn is also crippling and paralyzing our sex lives. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I often tell people that I believe that sex in America is broken, fundamentally. That if you consider that sexual dissatisfaction is a leading cause of divorce, it's probably the number two cause for divorce in this country with financial issues being the number one cause. When you consider that uh, rates of infidelity are rampant with actually rates amongst women now uh, paralleling, if not surpassing, those of men, 
And then you also consider that sex ruts and low sex desire uh, and low desire are really epidemic. Something's really broken in America's bedrooms. Uh, and I like to think that I'm sort of trying to fix that one bed at a time. But I think a big part of it is the mainstreaming of porn. I don't mm -hmm. think that's the only issue, but I think it's one leg of the stool. Very interesting. What did you think of the movie, Kinsey? I liked it quite a bit. I, I liked it artistically. I, I love Peter Sarsgaard. I mean, Peter Sarsgaard's just one of my favorite actors. I loved him in Shattered Glass. I loved him in uh, Boys Don't Cry. Uh, so I just love his performances. I think both he and Liam Neeson uh, were really daring. I think what was really interesting, too, is I had only ever known Kinsey's work from a scientific perspective. And if you read the books on his surveys of male sexual behavior and then later his survey of, of female sexual behavior, they're the most boring, driest, mm -hmm. clinical. They're literally statistical observations of sex acts. I mean, he might as well have been describing anything, butterflies, wasps, um, which, which in fact he, he had studied before moving into the, the area of sex. So it was interesting to me to see um, sort of the world the man behind the books. What I find very personally uh, interesting about Kinsey and about the film Kinsey, which, which was really brought home to me, was, you know, while I was promoting She Comes First, it was really right after the incident with Janet Jackson's breast mm. at the Super Bowl and the clamping down of the FCC. So my media tour really took, you know, a, a U-turn in a way. And uh, many of the media outlets that had said that they were going to talk to me uh, declined. And in fact, when I went on the Today Show, they had a problem with the title of my book in light of everything going on with the FCC, and they actually covered the title with a bow. Now, what I thought was really interesting is, here we are, we can't say she comes first on TV. I mean, certainly if the subtitle had been a history of presidential first ladies, you know, it might have been different. Um, but we can't talk about those words in the context of female sexuality but meanwhile, we can have commercials for Viagra, Levitra, and Cialis, and we can say erection, erectile disorder, 24-hour erection. And bringing that back to Kinsey, you know, when he wrote his book on male sexuality, he was lionized. He was Time's Man of the Year. He was a hero. I mean, he drew stadium-level crowds to his speeches. It was unheard of. Three or four years later, he comes out with a volume on female sexuality, which is actually a better volume. It's more scientifically rigorous. And he says much of the same things that he said in the male volume, that women have fantasies, that women masturbate, that women have affairs, that women have various degrees of desire. I mean, basically really drew parallels between men and women. He was decimated by the media. He was a social pariah. When he wrote that volume on female sexuality, it really marked the beginning of the end of his career um, in the mainstream. And I thought it was interesting just sort of going on, you know, in, in this day and age, sort of me largely trying to talk about female sexuality and then seeing the movie, I thought that there were really parallels between the experience. And I think it's really interesting that I can go on TV and because of the pharmaceutical industry, I can say words like erection, penis, erectile disorder, uh, testicles, but I can't really use language to describe female sexuality. You absolutely can't use the word clitoris, can't use the word labia. I mean, so we really have a language to deal with male sexuality in the mainstream, but we don't really have a language to deal with female sexuality. And I'm not trying to use the language of the bedroom. I mean, I'm a PhD, I'm a sex therapist, I'm a doctor, a clinician, I'm really trying to use the language of science. 
And it's just very interesting to me, the biases in the language of science when it comes to male sexuality versus female sexuality. All right, so what's your favorite sex scene in the movies? I think my favorite sex scene is in the adaptation of Marguerite Duras, The Lover, where um, the two central characters, I think one is an, an older Asian man and one is a very, very young French woman. It was uh, based on the Marguerite Duras novel. And there's incredible sexual tension between them. I mean, they're ready to just take off their clothes and rip each other apart. And I think they're sitting in the back of the car and the director is um, holding on them and you just see, like, their fingers touch. And that's all you see. And that one touching of two fingers says so much more than so many of the porn films that are out there. And just that simple touching of the two fingers is so rife with sexual tension. Um, I guess that's sort of a cheap way out of the question. Well, <laughs> it is early. And now what about in literature? Do you have one in literature? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's two things. One, I think that fantasy is the engine of desire. And I'm a huge fan of erotic literature. I find it very stimulating. I think the best thing that two people can do is read a lot as erotic literature to each other if they're really trying to uh, keep desire flowing. And, um, you know, I love uh, the short stories of uh, Anais Nin, The Delta of Venus, and Little Birds. I love, um, I think, one of the most masterfully written erotic novels of all time is a work called called A Sport and a Pastime by James Salter. Certainly some of Henry Miller's work is quite nice. There's a book called Emmanuel by Emmanuel Arsan, and obviously the story of O by uh, Pauline Rige. But I also just love as well um, the works of Milan Kundera. I'm a huge, huge Kundera fan from uh, The Unbearable Lightness of Being to Laughable Loves. I think that they're all masterful, and I think he is absolutely brilliant at evoking the erotic without uh, and permeating his work with such erotic texture without necessarily resorting to really gratuitous sex scenes. And, and I hope, actually, once I'm done with He Comes Next and I have a few of these sex books behind me to actually write a, a novel, which would be sort of a sex comedy from what I'm thinking, sort of Larry David meets Philip Roth in a way. For me, it's not just about describing people having sex and sort of exchanging fluids. It's really, uh, I'm really impressed by uh, someone like Kundera or Philip Roth who um, are just able to approach the erotic in a more literary manner and also much more as a, as, as, as a central part of a, of a character's thinking and action. Very good. Thank you so much. Hi, you're very that welcome. was a ton. That was perfect. Audible hopes you have enjoyed this program.